Welcome to Hive Mind. I'm Meg. I'm here with Eli. Hey, Eli. How are you? Great. Happy to be here with you. What have you been watching? I've been watching very much lately because we've been going to bed at 8 p.m. every night because Skylar works at 4 a.m. And you go to bed with him. I go to bed with him and then I sleep until like 8 in the morning. Do you feel like the more sleep you get, the more tired you are? I think that that might be happening because I've been like this week wondering if something is wrong with me because I don't normally sleep that much yeah but i don't normally go to bed that early and it's just like my body's just like letting me sleep and then i feel bad about it because i'm like i'm sleeping half of my life away Uh, i mean that sounds kind of great but i have noticed with myself uh, there's like a seven to eight hours sweet Mm -hmm. spot if i get any less than that i'm exhausted if i get any more than that i'm exhausted yeah okay so i should stop doing this I mean, if you're feeling good, live your best life. I'm not. I just feel like I'm in a fog. Yeah. And part of it is, I, well, we got back from a trip recently, and, and so I think there was jet lag for a piece of that. But, like, I should be over that by now. Anyway, all that to say, I haven't been watching very much, but I tried to watch a little film called Funny Face starring Audrey Hepburn and Fred Astaire. No good. It's a it's a musical from 1957, and this film is upsetting. Oh no! Why? I kind of want you to watch it. Um, I I gave up about halfway through, and let me just tell you, I have a pretty high tolerance for um, musicals. Like it takes a lot for me to give up watching a musical because I'm willing to just like put up with a lot. But this thing, first of all, the premise of it is that Audrey Hepburn, everybody agrees, is super ugly. And she meets Fred Astaire and Fred Astaire is a photographer and he finds out that she really wants to go to Paris and he has to go to Paris. And he's like, listen, your face is weird enough that I think if we took you to Paris, we might be able to find like some kind of modeling gig for you. And so the whole movie is like trying to get you to just like agree and accept that Audrey Hepburn is ugly. Okay. And it's not, they're not even doing like what they do with Sandra Bullock in every movie where they like try to make her look ugly. Like she's gorgeous like she's dressed well and you know she and she's just like yeah i've just always had this really funny face and i'm like don't even with me audrey hepburn you might be the most beautiful person who ever lived yeah and then fred astaire it's a it's a love story and he's 30 years older than her and not an attractive man and he is forcibly like kissing her against her will throughout the movie but it's played like it's romance it is so upsetting I felt like about halfway through, I was like, I don't want this to be a part of my memories, so yeah. I'm quitting. So I gave it up. Do not recommend. Okay. Um, I have been reading something. Ooh, okay. I read. Uh, uh, David Sedaris came out with like his newest book, uh-huh. and I'll like kind of eat up anything that he puts out. And so it's just a, a series of essays. It's very good. I recommend it. I did not know he had a new one coming out and just happened to see it at a bookstore. And so yeah, it's I very... feel like that happens every few years. Yeah. Just suddenly there's a new David Sedaris book. Um, he is able to do something in writing that I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do, which is he's willing to just like admit moral failings without like sugarcoating it. Mm-hmm. And I think it alienates some people because people would be like, oh, David Sedaris is a jerk. Or he's like, you know, inconsiderate or, you know, he's this or that. And I'm not sure that he actually is any of those things more than most of us. He's just willing to just be like, yeah, I I did this and thought that, you know. Sure. Which, you know. Yeah, you've got it. You've got to be pretty secure in yourself and have a lot of money, I think, to take (laughs) that step. (laughs) 
having yes, having a lot of money uh, solves a lot of problems. Yeah, right. What have you been watching? Um, the Kardashians on Hulu. Okay. Uh, phenomenal. The new season. It's a, yeah, it's a new season. So you know there was much to do about them leaving E and going to Hulu. And I watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians about season one through five. And season one, nobody knew who they were. Mm-hmm. They were just these pretty girls living in Calabasas who ran a shop. And okay. so to compare the premiere of that to the premiere of this new series on Hulu where they are all billionaires. Mega stars. Is kind of fun to see how far they really have come. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. And the way they've really carved a place for themselves in American culture. It's impressive. Mm-hmm. And I highly respect it. They're so fun to watch. Why? They're funny. And they make fun of each other a lot, uh, but they're also very kind to each other and love each other fiercely. And they all have so much money. And I love watching people with money. Okay, I have. So I've never watched it, but my friend, my friend Corey, who sometimes watches it, um, said that she actually admires them as a family a lot. And one of the reasons is she said, "And tell me if you feel like this is true." She's like. They're, they have the kind of relationship with each other where they're able to call one another out like very explicitly on bad behavior without it turning into like a, a bitter fight Yeah, because they respect each other enough. And so they're willing to just like say like, don't do that. That's wrong. What you just did is wrong. And like they're willing to like kind of have conversation like that. Yeah. Does that feel real? Oh, yeah. It's the best. Interesting. So the in season one, in the first few episodes, it's Kim getting ready to perform at SNL, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you watched it or remember, but her monologue was really, really yeah. funny. Yeah. And everyone was like, whoa, Kim Kardashian, what's going on? And so it's all about her prep for that and how seriously she was taking it and how hard she worked on that monologue. Interesting. And how supportive everyone in her family was about it and how they were like, you can say whatever you want about us. We have senses of humor. This is all about you. Go for it. And it was, I like cried at the end of the episode. I was so proud of her. (laughs) That's so fascinating. Yeah. So I would love to know if you decide to watch it. I'd love to know what you think. Maybe I'll check it out. Um, Let me ask you, since you've watched all of it, uh, how other than the money and the stardom, how, if at all, have they changed as people from beginning to where they are now? I mean, I, I didn't watch all of it. I just watched like the first five seasons and there's a gajillion seasons. Um, the Scott Disick aspect is really interesting because Scott and Courtney were together for a really long time and they mm-hmm. have three kids together and now she's engaged to Travis Barker. And so Scott's still a part of the show, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like this, how does Scott belong in our family anymore? Oh. Um, and he was a major part of the uh, keeping up with. So I'm only a few episodes in, but I'll be interested to see how how much a part of it he really is and they all are i mean they're not that different their personalities aren't that different mm-hmm. they just have tons of money huh. and they're driving around in rolls royces which is so fun to watch yeah okay ugly rolls royces like yeah. bright pink inside <laughs> rolls royces you can't buy taste but i'm happy for them mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah uh, sure anyway having a time of my life with that then I have been really into like men in suits movies, like what <laughs> men around boardrooms talking movies. 
That's a genre, I guess. Yeah. So we watch Margin Call. <laughs> okay. Which is about, it's quote unquote about, um, who's the one we, the Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. And how Goldman Sachs at the beginning of the 2007 financial crisis quietly sold off all of their holdings or mm. what were they called? The bundles, yeah. the tranches. Exactly. Those. <laughs> yep. They like quietly sold it off and essentially destroyed the market. Mm. And it's about the decision making process that led to them doing that. And you love finance. I love finance. I love learning about the 2007 financial crisis because mm-hmm. uh, I was gone. And so I feel yeah. like I'm like missing context constantly. So all the pop yeah. culture about it is really fascinating to me. It's 24 hours at this, um, you know, firm and all of these important people deciding if it was worth it to them to essentially destroy the American economy. Wow. Super interesting. We also watched Michael Clayton from 2007 starring George Clooney. Did you ever see this movie? never heard of it. Apparently it was nominated for like a whole bunch of Oscars. Huh. Yeah. And it is about, he is a law firm's fixer. Mm -hmm. And he, one of his coworkers, the, one of the partners who's a litigator goes kind of insane working on this case mm-hmm. and it leads to a couple murders and some like it's hard I don't want to ruin it for you but it's again like a 24 hour thing but it's really really well done huh. and George Clooney gives a really good performance I'll check it. that out Tilda Swinton is really oh. good in it. okay and then not to brag but I have also been reading <gasps> you you also read yeah I know um, which is like Honestly, I don't read nearly as much as I should, but I'm trying to like get back into reading. Yeah. Uh, read Where the Crawdads Sing. Oh, yeah. Really loved it. There's a movie coming out with our friend Brenda from Under the Banner of Heaven. Okay. Uh, looking forward to that. And I'm currently in the middle of Sorrow and... Shoot, let me pull it up. Bliss and Sorrow, uh, which is a book that a friend of the show, Rebby Grosbeck, recommended. And I'm really enjoying it. Brassfield, Reppy Brassfield. I was like, Grossbeck? Grossbeck is her main name. <laughs> was there a divorce that I didn't was hear in about? high school. <laughs> Reppy Brassfield. Um, and then I watched this documentary on Netflix about Martha Mitchell right on the heels of having watched Gaslit, yes. which is a series partly about Martha Mitchell. Um, mostly we're here to talk about this because I just want an excuse to talk about Martha Mitchell. I, 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 so I watched this last night. I didn't know who Martha Mitchell was. Did you know who she was before this? Only because I had listened to the Slow Burn podcast. Okay. And I started to listen to that. And then I think I like got distracted. And so, but like watching this documentary, I was like, I feel like I really should have known who this person was before this documentary. Well, I mean, history has largely been written by the males in America and mouthy broads tend to get pushed aside in service of the men uh, who have quote unquote done important things. But when you look at a lot of significant events throughout American history, it's usually the mouthy broads who really affect a change. And I feel like that's the case here. The general story is Martha Mitchell's married to the attorney general of the United States under uh, President Nixon. She is a loud mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't fit kind of cultural norms, but people love her. People love her. She becomes a darling of the media. She's fun to interview. She's willing to kind of say whatever she wants. The Nixon administration, frankly, 
uh, rides off of her popularity mm-hmm. and they're they're kind of just let her do her thing because she seems like she's good for the party, good for the administration, even though she sometimes says some things that they're like, that's not the statement we would have approved, mm-hmm. but the public love her and it seems to be helping him. So whatever. Um, this goes on for a while. Watergate happens while she's in California on some kind of campaign trip or some something. Yeah, um, the way it's explained in Gaslit is that John, her husband, John Mitchell, surprises her with a vacation to California. The whole point being that John Mitchell knew about the Watergate break-in that was forthcoming and wanted to distract her. And get her out of there. And did they live in the Watergate? No. They didn't? Okay. But he wanted to get her out of there. Um, Of course, we know what happens with Watergate. They get caught. And so she is left in California and kept in the dark. And, and then roughed up in this hotel room once, where they cut off her phone. Yeah. Once they once she starts to kind of figure out what's going on. Yeah. They rough her up. They um, basically hold her as a political prisoner um, because they do not want her out talking about this uh, because she won't say, you know, she won't toe the line and, and say what they you know want well, her and to it's say. Important, I think, to mention, too, that she had started to become critical of the Nixon administration mm-hmm, leading up right. to this. Right. Right. So they knew that if she found out about Watergate, she would become that criticism would intensify and she'd go to the press with it. Yeah. And so ultimately um, they start this narrative uh, publicly. Nixon and her husband start saying like, oh, she's kind of losing her mind. And they're hoping to kind of get ahead of it, that if she does start saying things about Watergate, people will be dismissive of her because they're like, oh, she's like lost touch with reality. And I'll tell you. It was interesting watching this and thinking about, you know, other people who sort of sound alarms. They show clips of her standing out on the street, like yelling at the press about what's going on. And she does look like somebody who's lost touch with reality. Mm-hmm. And the reality probably is that she was traumatized by that point and so frustrated and so upset that it it probably did make her lose a little bit of um, kind of that sanity but she was also saying things that were true. Mm-hmm. But I was watching those clips and thinking, if I was just like a viewer at home in the 70s and I saw this on the news, I'd be like, oh, poor Martha Mitchell. What happened to her? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why they have the Martha Mitchell effect now in psychology where someone seems delusional, but their delusions are actually about something real. real. They're right about something. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that was just so fascinating to see and and to kind of like think about well then how do we figure out when somebody's delusions you know how do you figure out when somebody should be listened to or how they should be listened to because she it wasn't just that she was saying things that sounded like conspiracy she actually looked and sounded unhinged while she was saying them yeah um yeah, I will say the series, the series Gaslit kind of explores that a little more about how she was a bit of a lush um, and she had a medication abuse problem and she was often um, disqualified because of that. But how her husband, John, was at every turn mm-hmm. working to make her seem mm-hmm. more crazy than she was. Yeah. So... Uh, I enjoyed the experience of watching the series and then watching this. This is like a tight 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, the series kind of meanders a little more and there's a lot more about John Dean in it and the other characters. There's a whole episode about Liddy who was 
certifiably nuts. Mm. Um, but I liked this. This is Martha Mitchell and Martha Mitchell only. Yeah. And I wonder, uh, my mom watched Gaslit and she asked my grandparents who would have been like our age during that time mm-hmm. if they remember Martha Mitchell and they said they never heard of her. Oh. So I wonder how much of this was DC inside circle related. You know, yeah. if it's like the political wonks knew who she was and the political press knew who she was, but it didn't quite permeate out into the American public's knowledge. Well, um, that's fascinating. And it's not the case that this documentary is just trying to convince us she was more significant than she actually was, because the documentary starts with a later interview with Richard Nixon, where he says, if it wasn't for Martha Mitchell, the Watergate scandal would have never happened. The Frost Nixon interview, like the, the, the interview. The interview. And yeah, and he just like flat out says like, if she didn't exist, that never would have happened. Yeah, and it it sort of sets up and and this idea that I think we're all thinking about a lot right now, which is that one person being willing to say the truth can take down entire systems. Yeah, and that's what happened with her. Like she was willing to be critical of the administration and like say, oh, this is. This thing that they're trying, they're trying to hide this from you. And that took down the administration. And that it was like reporters that people weren't taking super seriously who started reporting on it. Mm -hmm. And that somehow led to more serious media listening to what she said and eventually confirming that what she said was true. Like, I just feel like so often we discount people who don't seem to have pedigrees, Mm -hmm. right? Or don't talk a certain way or write a certain way when there's... So much experience and truth to be learned from those people. We just have to kind of deprogram ourselves yeah. to pay attention. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, by the way, I went on a rabbit hole right after it ended because they show a brief clip of her being interviewed by, by a young Barbara Walters. Yeah. And I was like, what's happening with Barbara Walters? And I looked her up and she's 94 now and hasn't really been in the public eye for several years and apparently has dementia. Oh, that's sad. It was really sad. And I, her last interview that she did was in 2015. She interviewed Donald Trump when he was uh, starting, uh, had just announced his candidacy. Interesting. And, um, and then she hasn't really been out since then. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was kind of sad. I was just like, oh man, all these like, you know, these people from this era are just, I, I, I looked up right after, I just started like going down rabbit holes and like, who's yeah. still alive? Who's not yeah. still alive? I looked up Dick Van Dyke. Um, uh-huh. He's like 97 or something. Still going, right? Doing great. Yeah. His I, Then I found his Instagram, by the way, and I went and down a rabbit hole last night in his Instagram. It is so wholesome. It's just <laughs> him like go, walking around the house singing and like dancing. And I'm like, man, love you to do hear you, that. Dick Van Dyke. Love to hear that. <laughs> Um, if you want to learn more about Martha Mitchell, I do recommend the Slow Burn podcast. Okay. Uh, she's not a huge part of it, but it talks about how she was absolutely instrumental in bringing down Nixon. Um, I do recommend Gaslit. I think that there okay. are some flaws. I don't think it's about Martha Mitchell as much as it needs to be. And I think they spend way too much time on Gordon Liddy. But uh, where, where did you watch Gaslit? Stars. Okay. Was it Stars or Showtime? One of those two. Okay. Uh, Julie Roberts, Sean Penn plays John Mitchell, which oh. is interesting. Yeah. Julia Roberts does a really good job. Um, everyone in it does a really good job. Julia Roberts plays Martha Mitchell? hmm Really? Yeah. She does a great job. I cannot see that. 
Uh, I think she nailed it. Did you see the preview, by the way, for the Julia Roberts, George Clooney rom-com? Uh-uh. It does not look good. And I just don't know if this nation can handle a bad Julia Roberts movie right now. I'm almost like, guys, maybe like take a beat. <laughs> what, what's the premise? Their daughter's getting married and they have to, they're divorced and they have to fly to an island where she's getting married and try and talk her out of marrying this like young guy she just met. And if I had to guess, I would say that Julia Roberts and George Clooney reignite their love for each other. But the jokes in this thing and the preview do not land. Oh no. I know. I know. Right? Like what will we do? <laughs> we cannot handle a Julia Roberts flop era. What was the last good Julia Roberts film? Film? Yeah. I mean, she kind of stopped doing them, like yeah. Oceans, all the right. Oceans. And then I actually read a snippet of an interview with her where she said, like, I just wasn't getting scripts that I like. Interesting. So, so she started doing series. Yeah. Well, she kind of didn't do anything for a while. And then mm. she, she popped up in Gaslit and now she's doing this movie. I mean, she looks amazing. Yeah, she does. And I feel like she age. can have a renaissance if she wants one. Mm -hmm. I just don't know that this movie was the right choice. But we will see. Okay. I've seen bad previews before that were great movies. Yeah. Um, anything else about this Martha Mitchell character? Totally recommend it. Yeah, it's a CNN documentary that's on Netflix. If you just Google Martha Mitchell documentary, you'll find it. I think it's called Martha Mitchell. The Martha Mitchell effect. The Martha Mitchell effect. Mm -hmm. um, she's a fascinating person. I Every piece of Martha Mitchell media that comes up, I'm devouring because I just think mm -hmm. she's overlooked. Right. Um, you want to do Elvis next week? Let's do it. Okay. Next week, we'll be back to talk about Elvis. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.